the digital delight of jazz and what's more on WFDU HD2, TNAC. Tom Mazza, we're back. Joined on the line from our buddy Mike Vaccaro. Mike, welcome, buddy. Happy holidays, guys. How are you guys doing? Merry Christmas. Merry Happy Christmas. holidays. Happy New Year. We're good. We're wrapping up the show, Mike. Uh, we're taking next week off. A well-deserved break on a volunteer job. <laughs> I would say so. <laughs> we, uh, we really enjoy you coming on. Mike, here's the deal. I'm gonna tr we love having you on. I'm going to try to go 20 minutes with you without you and Tony breaking off on the Knicks. Is it possible or no? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, crazy things have happened, I guess. <laughs> So listen, we've been we've been yapping about the stories of the year. First of all, do you, do you have any thoughts? What 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 is uh, go sport by sport? Uh, anything? What are some of the themes of the year that you, you you think you're looking back on? We were we were talking analytics. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to, to, to me, unfortunately, the over the overarching theme because our team thinks so much, so we see it so much is is the uh, the notion of tanking again. I mean, I, I hate that that's a part of sports, and I hate that it's a part of of how, of how teams, you know, successfully kind of rehabilitate themselves. But, uh, you know, we're, we're kidding ourselves if we tied our head in the sand. Obviously, the, I think the Knicks learned the lesson that tanking is going to work in the NBA. And so good for Adam Silva for instituting a, a, a system that, you know, kind of, you know, doesn't reward tanking. But in the NFL, we see it still, it still rewards it. In baseball, it kind of does. And, you know, unfortunately, one of the other big stories is, is, is the cheating aspect. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, it's really the first time in sports since the since the Black Sox when a when a team of of real prestige like the Astros is kind of caught red-handed in a cheating scandal, and you can actually say that they were helped to win their World Championship because of cheating. So it's uh, unfortunately those are the two things that uh, that, uh, that that that, that stay with me as the, as the year ends, which uh, is too bad because there were other things to celebrate. Let me ask you a question. What do you, where are you? We never really talked to you about this, and this is like right up your alley because you know, you're, you're a topical guy. You love talking about the, the topics that surround sports versus certain players. Where, where are you on the whole gambling, and where do you think that's going? I mean, this gambling is going to ramp up. I saw a Wall Street analyst over the week, uh, excuse me, this past week, put a report out that 2022-2023, I'm not sure of the year, He's projecting $13 billion wagered in legalized sports gambling as more states. I think it's 20 states now. Tony follows this pretty tightly, but I think it's 20 states now. And we, we assume that's going up and not down. Um, what do you think about the, the, like, do you notice it, Mike? I mean, you do this for a living, trying to follow shows, trying to follow people that maybe you like to follow, that the gambling aspect of this is creeping more in. Kind of, where are you on that? Yeah, it's becoming more and more of an issue. But look, I think we'd be naive if we thought that was ever going to go away. And so, to me, I mean, I, I, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather see it legislated, and I'd rather see, you know, you be able to go through a, a an above board operation than have to worry about, you know, if your losses mount, you want to worrying if your legs if your legs are going to get broken. Um, you know, in past years, I would have been I would have been worried about the impossible influence of gamblers on athletes. But athletes make so much money now that it, you, know, you would really have to be a special kind of a psychopath to be to be willing to risk that, you know, on, on gambling. Um, I, I I do I could see where, you know, somewhere down the road you see an official or a referee or an umpire get caught up in this stuff because 
while they make good money, they don't make great money, and so it's you know they they, they might be more vulnerable. And uh, but but you know what, they would have been vulnerable anyway because you know with with uh, with with you know in the old system they would have had to answer to bookies and loans. Sure. Stuff, so sure. Uh, but so in in some ways the danger is out of there, but there's. You know, the, 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 really, the one thing I worry about because I come from a family of gamblers, and and some of them were able to contain it, and some of them weren't, is that you know it's the same thing as as if you you know as if you mandate an alcoholic has to be around drinking all the time. You know, it's 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 a it, that, that 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 that's the one downside because I have seen what ruinous gambling can do to families, can do to can do to lives, and that's a problem. But you know what? It's like anything else. I mean. You really can't legislate morality into or out of our society. You're just going to have to leave it up to the to the free will of people who partake. So, no, um, listen, they're all fair points, and we've actually had two gambling experts on the show. We had a woman who runs the um, New Jersey, Pennsylvania Center for uh, Addictive Personalities and Compulsion Gambling, actually, about a month ago, and then we had a woman from Rutgers about a year and a half ago talking about the phones as an addiction and, and leading into gambling. But, but really, but one other point of that is, though, does it kind of bother you? Because it bothers me. The, the one downside of the legal part of it is that now, pregame, postgame, everything now, this, this gambling is coming into my coverage. Yeah, I can see that. You know, it's, it's an interesting dance that we dance at the post every day. I mean, we have three and four and five you know, pages of, 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 of unvarnished gambling tips. Um, you know, whereas before it was, you know, so, so sometimes the paper would have a would have a handicapper they would employ. I mean, we had, you know, to me, look, we, we, we've, we, we've embraced it with open arms and open eyes that, uh, that this is part of it. But the one good thing is that, you know, they don't ask me to write a gambling column. In the same way, they don't ask, you know, the guys who work for the uh, for the gambling pages, you know, to write an analysis about what it means if the power forward goes down. So, Understood. I mean, I, 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 I do think there's probably a church and state thing there hmm. that probably has to be that it has to be uh, looked at very closely. I we never actually had a conversation about it at the post, you know, but I mean, it's, it's just the way it's been because I guess there's just a an understanding that there's a right way and a wrong way. If you're gonna read me. I'm not going to tell you who to take the under. I mean, if you read the guys in the gambling pages, they are, but they're not going to tell you, you know, they're not going to give you a backstory about the, you know, how the coach became a coach. And I guess that's, the, you know, that's kind of the, the dance that we dance right now. Mike, we had a little debate, me and Bobby, in terms of taking a look at the NBA and the Major League Baseball in terms of which one has been the most disrupted the last 10 years when it comes to analytics, you know, baseball obviously with the shift, exit velocity, the opener, and then basketball on the other side with the with the prominence of the three-point shot, where really now in the NBA you really can't be a, a good dominating team unless you put up, you know, 43s and shoot a decent percentage. Give me your thoughts in terms of which one of the two sports you think has been most disrupted when it comes to the analytics. Well, I guess it depends on what you like. See, to me, I mean, baseball... I love the analytics, but the analytics have come in, but I don't like that analytics in some in some areas has become the only thing, you know? I mean, I know somebody who once voted for, you know, who once uh, filled out his Hall of Fame ballot based on the 10 guys who had the highest war in their career. And that's certainly his prerogative to do that, but um, it, it's not really the way that I think that, that, that these advanced metrics were designed to, to help the game. I mean, there are guys particularly analytical, and that's their job. And I understand that. But to me, I mean, what, what, what 
having an understanding of of concepts like whip and war and you know fielding independent pitch pitching and all this kind of stuff or pitching independent fielding I should say. What, you know, what that allows you is a greater is a greater enjoyment if you use them properly for the game. Um, and I, look, I mean, it's different in basketball because I know that um, a lot of us yearn for the days when everything ran through the low post, and you know the three was a nice weapon to use if you were trailing late in the game. But that's that horse is out of the barn. You know, I mean, that's not going to go. That's not going to. We're talking about a worldwide revolution now with basketball, and obviously. You know, a lot of that was led by the way the Europeans felt they had to play in order to catch up to the Americans. And the way they did that was was a lot of drive and kick, a lot of open, you know, a lot of take your threes and and take a shot at being able to you know to, to, to catch a better team on a hot night. And we see that, of course, now in our basketball culture. I mean, the Warriors showed that. I mean, if you, if you don't like, if you don't like that kind of basketball, then I guess that's probably the most destructive because it, it, it really lessens your enjoyment for a sport that you probably invest a lot of your time and your life into. I do think that baseball, you know, look, I mean, I, 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 I get it. The shift can be kind of bothersome for people. But to me, I mean, the shift is what, you know, it goes back to what I was saying about being able to augment your enjoyment by using analytics as opposed to just relying on analytics. I mean, to me, you know, if you have, a, if you have guys who are smart enough to be able to predict where a guy's going to hit the ball in the infield, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I find that to be fascinating. And, you know, I think that, uh, you know, someone else might feel differently about that. But, I mean, I, to me, I mean, I, I think I think the numbers have had less damage. I think this is what your question is. But I think they, they've had less damage in baseball than the product. And, well, I wouldn't necessarily call what basketball has become a damage. I understand that some people feel that way because they were raised on basketball a certain way. And, and basketball looks different now than it did 30 years ago. There's no question about it. It's fair answers. Mike, I tell you, I, I hate the shift, but the only thing I'd hate more is if they outlawed it. And I really mean that. Play around it. That's a great it. way of putting it. it I, 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 you, know, you know what? I say I probably, I probably agree with that. I don't like it when, when, when a ball that looks like it was going to be hit every, you know, every day I've ever watched a baseball game is suddenly a routine 4-3 from the guy playing halfway up the outfield. But, exactly, I, I don't think it should be legislated out because that's artificially affecting the game. It's kind of why... You know, I, I'm waiting and seeing on this new rule in baseball that is the, the, the three batter minimum for the pitcher, because I, I I don't have a problem with baseball games being long. When I was a kid, I rooted for four hour baseball games, but I get it. That's a problem for baseball. But I, I think I'm not going to like this with this three batter minimum. But I'm going to wait and see because I I thought I was going to be outraged by the you know automatic intentional walk. And to me, I think it's one of the smartest things that's come along. So I'm willing to give it some time. I'm willing to give all these things some time and. You know, the shift is another thing like that. Look, the shift isn't going away. And I hope it doesn't go away because somebody legislates that it's no longer legal because that also goes against what the game has been for 140 years. Yeah. You've been able to do it. It's just that a lot of teams didn't do it until the last 10 years. All right, let me – Tony's going to close this out with another hoops question because <laughs> you guys always go, uh, you know, off off to that sport. But I want to we, – we open the show with these Patriots, and they are just – you just – Mike, I know I'm overstating the obvious here, but you really have to slay that. They really are Glenn Close coming out of the bathtub at the end of Fatal Attraction. You have to kill them to kill them. They scored one touchdown yeah, again. Well, they scored one touchdown no against the. Go ahead. Right. I'm sorry. 
They scored one touchdown against the Eagles. They beat them. They scored one touchdown against the Cowboys. They beat them. The Bills had them up at Orchard Park. They couldn't beat them. Yesterday, I felt they got outplayed, but I guess they didn't. They can't beat them. Do you really see them though going on the road and winning a game? Because they're going to have to go on. They're going to have to play a road game. Like, well, what are your thoughts on this team? For for me, I really don't care because my team has taken them down twice. But Tony can't stand them. So kind of give them a hug here and tell them that they may not be uh, in Miami in February. <laughs> you know what the Patriots remind me of right now at this point in their history? They remind me an awful lot of the 2001 Yankees. And we forget, you know, because of everything that was happening around the World Series and how dramatic the World Series was. We tend to forget that that was a team that was so on its last legs. They could barely, I mean, they were hurt. They were old. They couldn't hit. They couldn't pitch. And somehow they won themselves in the World Series. And somehow they won, found themselves three outs away from the World Series. And they didn't win it. And so there's your, I guess there's your hope for people who don't like the Patriots. But, they, but the muscle memory of key people who knew how to win, obviously the Jeters and the Pettits and the Clemens and the you know, Tina Martinez and the Paul O'Neills, I mean, the muscle memory was so was so overloaded on how to finish off series, how to finish off games, that even though they were diminished, and really, I mean, it kind of started in 2000 because they were an 87-win team that found a way to win the World Series and beat a, beat a Mets team that you know had won nine more games than them that year. So that you, you kind of saw that for the first time in 2000, but in 2001, I mean, you kept looking at the Yankees when they were going against the Diamondbacks, and you know, a lot of times it just looked like a a varsity team going up against a JV team, and more precisely, a varsity team going up against a team of like older alumni who were coming back to play an alumni game. And yet the Yankees were right there to win the World Series if they'd gotten three more outs. So that, that, that's kind of how the Patriots remind me. I think, I think the Patriots are, 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 a little, are a little better overall in their sport than the Yankees in 2001 were in theirs. But, you know, it, it looks like they're vulnerable. It looks like, you know, there's three or four teams that should have a, a, a real good shot of beating them. I mean, the Chiefs, obviously, the Ravens, obviously. you got to figure the Texans, although they're up and down. And why not the Bills? Because the Bills have played them tough twice. Um, but you wonder which one of those teams is going to be the one that actually, when you got to make a play in the fourth quarter, whether it's at home or on the road. Don't forget, they went on the road last year and won in Kansas City. And I used to work in Kansas City. I can tell you how hard it is to win an hour stadium, especially in January. Um, you know, until, until, until you see them walk off the field vanquished, I mean, you have to believe that they'll find a way in the same way those old Yankees made you realize they were going to find a way no matter what. Yeah, you can't make the mistake. I mean, you bring up the great game. I mean, D4 doesn't jump off sides. It's a whole different game, but you just can't make those mistakes against teams of that caliber. Mike, let's just, uh, as a last question, let's just torture ourselves a little bit. Let's talk about the Knicks for a couple of minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Leaving aside the last two games, it seemed like there, you know, there were... They were 3-3 three and three under Mike Miller, interim coach, and it seemed like maybe they were playing a little bit better basketball. The last two games have been a little bit disappointing. But my question is, I mean, what do you, I mean, is there any chance that, that James Dolan is actually going to let Scott Perry and, and Steve Mills actually pick the next coach? Or do you think Dolan is kind of leaning towards, let's just blow the whole thing up, let's go big after Mazzai Ujiri or, or Sam Presti, and let's just do something totally different? What's your, what's your sense? Well, personally, I, if it were me, I would I would hire a basketball executive like the guys you talked about, and just have, and, and, and step aside and let them do it all. I'm not I can't say that I have the highest amount of confidence in the, in the Knicks brain trust right now. So, I mean, if I were the owner, I'd probably have second guessing about what their choices were. But I would you know I, I would find I would identify the guy that I think is the best basketball guy in the world, see if he's see if he's available, and go with it. 
and you know, it, 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 it leads to another question, which I think is one of the most fascinating, you know, conundrums in New York sports, which is you never hear a Rangers fan bitch about the owner, <laughs> right? It's incredible. Yeah. It's the same guy. Rangers, it's incredible. You never hear a Rangers fan complain about the owner at all, at all, for anything. And even the philosophy, organizational philosophy, almost all Rangers fans seem to have bought in. And yet, with the Knicks, it's the exact opposite. And like you just said, it's the same guy. And you would think that at some point, maybe it might occur to him that if you just get a guy, a guy you trust, like the guys he has for the last 10 years to run this hockey team, to do it for his basketball team, it would certainly increase the enjoyment for him. Because you can't imagine you know, that the guy likes you know, people looking at him and knowing that everybody that he runs in contact with folks he's folks he sell the team. Where is the enjoyment in owning the team if people only want you to get rid of the team? True. Mike, Merry Christmas, man. We look forward to a good 2020. Much. Merry Christmas, guys. Uh, Let's do it again really soon I, in, the, in the new year. I, I, listen, yeah, the Cotton Mazza, we, we do a lot of lunches in northern Jersey, and Chifo, uh, Chifo wants to invite you one, so we'll pick a good pizzeria and we'll text you, all right? There we go, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Mike. Appreciate it.